What you just saw are some of the faces that come from the front lines of HIV AIDS in one particular corner of the world, and that happens to be in Southeast Asia, Cambodia. Lake Avenue Church, we have sent 80 of our families and singles around the world to represent the gospel. They're in over 30 nations dealing with multiple people groups, and in each case, directly or indirectly, HIV AIDS now affects what they do in ministry. It affects the the way they tell the story of God's work in the world. That's why it's called a pandemic. It's everywhere. This year's World Focus Weekend, we're trying to get some perspective on the question, how should the church respond? Who is our neighbor? And what are the stories we should be telling of Jesus in the days of HIV AIDS? HIV AIDS might be a newcomer to their scene, but response in a loving way on behalf of of our loving God is not new. I want to take you back momentarily to that story that the Cronks just read for us. Wasn't it great having all the kids up here too? <clears throat> back in Luke 10, there's a, we're familiar with the story. We won't need a lot of time here. We know this story. But, but, but get this, it's, it's kind of a story in three scenes. And, and the first scene is just a setup. Jesus is using it to set up what he really wants to do. When this, this expert in the law comes to him, Luke describes him that way as an expert in the law, and he comes to him and, and he says, a question that's the heart of all of us, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't give an answer, does he? He turns around and asks him a question. Okay, I'll put it on you then. How do you understand the law? Isn't that a fascinating question? Jesus, this, this honored rabbi in that setting, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher. He's there to teach, but he doesn't teach, apparently. He says, how do you understand it? After all, he's thinking, you're, a legal, you're an expert on the law of God. The law, that thing that was given by God, that we might follow him in the ways that he designed us, sort of according to our maker's instructions, you might say. That's the series that Greg Waybright is doing right now. Well, not right now, he's in Chicago. When he comes back. So if you tell him I touched on his message just a little bit, it'll be really good for my job security. So mention it to him if you see him. Touches on two things. This legal expert, or the expert of the law, he summarizes the Ten Commandments through a passage in Deuteronomy and a passage in Leviticus. He he marries them together in, in verse 27. Look at it. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love the na- your neighbor as yourself. He got the answer right. Jesus tells him that in 27. You got it right. But is it possible sometimes we get the answer right and we flunk the test? Oftentimes Christians are best known as people who have answers. We just have to have answers for everything. And in so doing, I'm wondering sometimes if we're flunking the test. Is it possible that in so being so focused on the minimal answer, we're missing the main point of the test. I was walking through the lobby, and I couldn't help but notice and was reminded that our Spring Alpha program starts this next week. It's a place to discover questions and find some answers. But be on journey together. A lot of us have been praying for people whose names we wrote down and we put in the cross, which is not up here this weekend. Maybe it's time to invite them. Friends, if we're going to talk about world focus, we talk about Pasadena, we talk about Phnom Penh, we talk about the ends of the earth. It's a continuum. 
That's just a little aside. There's no charge for that. I just want you to think about Alpha begins again. I'd love to have you a part of that. The setup now continues in part two. And Jesus affirms this religious person's understanding. But now, I love this, because now this, this, this specialist in the law, this man who knows the law well, he pushes it a little bit. Because what he's seen, I think, in Jesus is a rabbi. A rabbi who he's on par with. This man says, okay, he understands me. We're like colleagues together. So now he pushes it. And he knows that Jesus responded in this traditional rabbinical way. Instead of giving an answer, he gave a question, right? So I can see this man thinking to himself, I'll ask him another question. He'll ask me a question and I can show off how well I know the answer. So he asks a second question. And he says, who is my neighbor? And what does Jesus do? He doesn't ask the question. He responds. He springs a trap in effect almost. He responds in a completely different way. Instead of a question, this man now gets a story. Jesus often responds to us in unexpected ways, doesn't he? It's as if he's reminding us, he is God. We are man. My ways are not your ways. And this poor expert of the law walked right into it. When we encounter Jesus, we must be ready to be surprised. We must be ready to hear things we do not expect. And I'm pretty sure we must expect to hear some things that we have never heard. Because encountering Jesus will be filled with surprise. Can I ask you a question, church? Today, are you ready to respond to Jesus in unexpected ways? We all came with some kind of agenda this morning. What if Jesus hijacks your agenda? Are we ready to respond to him in unexpected ways? Well, Jesus' story, this very familiar story, has only four characters, right? The first is the victim. Interesting little detail about this victim. Jesus describes these other characters, but this victim, all he said was he was brutalized by robbers. We don't know his ethnicity. We don't know why he was on the road. Maybe he was even one of the robbers himself and got beat up by another gang. None of that is important to Christ in this story. What's important is this is a victim. That's how he's identified. Secondly, that second character is a priest. Or today we might call him, let's say, a pastor. And I say, woe unto you, pastors, for walking by him on the road. Oh, wait, I'm a pastor. Okay, let's get the next one. Um, The Levite, who's like a congregational leader. There, I'll pick him. Woe to congregational leaders. And then he gets to this Samaritan. Samaritans, for those of you who might not be aware, Samaritans were like, almost like the crazy cousins of the Jews. But not crazy funny, crazy heretic. For the Jews believed they were, they believed the Samaritans were actually enemies of the faith because of distortions they believed they had brought to it. And that's the one that Jesus makes the hero of the story. The Samaritan. As I said, Jesus says the victim is just that, a victim. Let's think about that victim as someone today, in our analogy, of someone with HIV AIDS. They're just a victim, a victim that's suffering greatly. And so who might our good Samaritan be? I was thinking about that this week. I I think maybe a good Samaritan might be, say, a movie star. Someone whose life has been maybe in many ways the antithesis of the way God would have us live it. Say, a fairly somewhat retired movie star now, Elizabeth Taylor who for 25 years 
has talked about HIV-AIDS and for 25 years raised over $25 million to care for those with HIV-AIDS. She's the hero of my retelling of this story. Are you uncomfortable now? (laughs) Because that's how the expert in the law felt when Jesus said, it's the Samaritan. Okay, well, he's reaching his culmination here. Jesus, after telling the story and setting up our religious legal friend, he now goes back to this kind of rabbinical Socratic method of asking a question. But instead of leaving the story just as is and having it trail off, he drops this hammer blow. And it's a pop quiz. And he asks him the question, So, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And it's not a rhetorical question. You know when you get a rhetorical question and you can sort of sigh into the relief because you know that person's going to answer it? This was not one of those. This was so. What's the answer? Come on, legal expert man. What's the answer? It was humiliating. It was a public setting. This expert in the law, this leader in his synagogue had been humiliated But he turned it from something of humiliation into something that was humbling. Humbling being something good came out of it. And he says, you know who it was? He says it was the one who had mercy on him. Is the way Luke records it in verse 37. The one who had mercy. Now he still can't bring himself to say it's the Samaritan. (laughs) He still has a way to go. But he gets the answer right. And Jesus honors this painful admission in this reflection on love. And he blesses him. And I think he did it really gently. I think he looked in his eyes and said, Brother, now go and do likewise. He got it. And Jesus blessed it. HIV AIDS burst onto the scene in the 80s. There were basically three victim groups back then. There were gay men, There were blood transfusion recipients and IV drug users. But in the 90s, something different was happening. A pandemic was emerging from southern Africa, sweeping north, crossing the oceans to Asia, and indeed touching the entire globe. During this time, largely the church, capital C, the the institutions that follow the followers of Jesus around the world, largely sat silent at best, and at worst were very judgmental. A lot of people brought this great passion to the topic of HIV-AIDS. And sadly, many of us in the church did not bring much compassion to this subject. The church argued about this modern-day plague and what it meant, while Samaritan, like many others, many a long ways away from Jesus, were doing something about it and caring for the victims. A wave that had lapped on the shore of every continent was becoming a tsunami And by the mid-90s, the church was starting to take notice and respond differently. But it took a while. As a matter of fact, Lake Avenue Church faced this really personally. Some of you will remember when our brother, church member, and organist, David Dalkey, told his story of HIV-AIDS the last month of his life on this very platform. It became very personal for us. I still remember that day well as we concluded that service with the declaration, it is well with my soul, as we sang it together. That the God, the compassionate one, ultimately caring for us. But but 
now we had to think about this personally in many ways. But, but so did the church, Big C. It had to think about it personally. What is a missional response to HIV AIDS? Where does this intersect with what God is doing in the world and our role in all of that? Where does it fit? How do we provide comfort, compassion amidst such pain and suffering? Well, it's year, we're beginning year four of our partnership with, global, with World Relief in Cambodia. And the global facts are sobering about HIV-AIDS, and so are the Cambodian facts. And that's why we decided this year we would put our perspective and turn our lens to this. This problem, this siege, frankly, and the challenge of how we can respond. Because the story of Jesus is a story of rescue, amen? So how are we going to tell the story? I want to reintroduce to you Debbie Dortzbach. Debbie, come on up and join me. Debbie, as I said, is the, is the International Director for HIV-AIDS for World Relief. She actually was born here in Pasadena um, some time ago when her father was part of the first graduating class at Fuller Seminary. Debbie has a master's degree both in nursing and in public health. She was a missionary in East Africa for many, many years, she and her husband. Some of you might know her name and trying to place it. Um, it was headline news around the world for a month when she was kidnapped in the midst of a civil war. She and a compatriot, that compatriot was martyred during that kidnapping. Um, Debbie is the the author of a fabulous book called The AIDS Crisis, What Can We Do?, which Christianity Today, when they reviewed it, simply said this. I love it. Skip the next international AIDS conference. Just read this book. Debbie, thanks for coming all this way to be with us. And thanks for telling some stories about love in the time of HIV AIDS. But don't skip the missions conference at Lake Avenue and read the book. Who is our neighbor? Well, our neighbor is a 10-year-old boy seated on a blue plastic sheet in the shadow of a building in his village, protected from the hot sun and the noonday, gathered with some of his fellow friends, all of them soon reaching puberty, all of them curious about what that means, all of them gathered weekly with their mentor and leader, a guy kind of like your Tim, who says to them, I want you to understand what it means to grow up God's way. Keep in mind that for many boys, in Cambodia, their first experiment with what they might say is love is guided by an uncle or a father or an older brother to the red light district of the capital city. Something had to be done. Something drastic had to enter into these guys' minds before they were mature enough to go down those streets. And this young boy came to this meeting, this neighbor of yours. He came and took out of his pocket a crumpled up newspaper and laid it out in the middle of that blue mat and said, I don't really understand this, but I found it in the garbage dump, the very one you saw a picture of. And while I was looking for something I could sell so we could have food tonight, 
It was a part of a pornographic magazine. His mentor and friend, his Tim, said to him, Yeah, there's a lot of garbage in that dump. And we need to crumple it up and throw it away, not only in a physical way, but from our minds and from our thoughts. And we need to know how to honor God and honor girls and honor women and honor your body by becoming a man God's way. They wrestled with lots of issues in their small group. They opened the word and began to encourage one another that through peer pressure, yes, we can be pure and save ourselves so that we honor God. The next day, I went to the women's group, the girls' group, and I listened to a 14-year-old say, you know, a man came to me and, and he was saying he loved me. And he wanted me to come into his house, and he said that he would give me something. I didn't go, but, but what does it mean? What, what does love really mean? And in the same way, the girls around chatted with each other, encouraged one another that, yes, we can know about love, God's love, God's way, when we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves, that means you need to understand God's way to understand his love. Those are the youth in Cambodia that are part of the youth movement to love God his way in the Hope Fellowship. They learn Khmer dance. They have dramas in church. They do the hallelujah cheer. They are honoring God and they are the future generation of Cambodia that will make a dramatic difference in the prevalence of HIV in that country. And they are your neighbors. You are partnering with them. But you're also partnering with a woman named Sunkanthia. Sunkanthia is part of the church. And she is visit she visits this woman that you see on the screen on a weekly or even daily basis. This dear sister was dying of HIV. And they carried her into the church, got a soft chair for her right in the front, no stigma in that church. And they ministered to her deeply through the word of God. The Sunday I happened to be there, I'd also visited the home of Trub. Trub was a woman very much on her deathbed. In fact, I thought I would see her, hear her last breath. I so appreciated the song, Manfred, you sang about giving God's breath. And Sunkanthea did that. She whispered in Trub's ears, I'm with you. God's, God is with you. We will never leave you. We are part of you even now at this hour. Her grandmother was, was crying. Her grandmother didn't have any peace in her heart. She didn't know the Lord Jesus. We got to church just a few minutes later and got the news that, yes, Trub went to be with Jesus. 
Sunken Thea had been with her on her last breath. But also the entire church, your neighbors, sprang to action. They built the coffin in her home. They found the flowers. They got the picture. They found the motorcycle and the cart that would pull the, the body to the crematorium. And the entire church went in a parade, first to the worship in church where the young people gave the lesson about AIDS and how to prevent it, where the young people danced a victory dance that Trump was with Jesus, no longer suffering, where Trump's mother sat in the front pew weeping as she revealed her own contribution to leading Trub into commercial sex work. And then the entire congregation marched over to the Buddhist, the only place where there can be a crematory, and watched as her body was put into the flames. At that barrier, you can only go so far, was Trub's grandmother, weeping. She knew her granddaughter soon would just be ashes. And a member of the church stood by her, clinging to her, explaining at that very hour the message of victory in Jesus, forgiveness of sin, and resurrected life. Trub's grandmother confessed Jesus at that barrier and then watched as her granddaughter was wheeled into the crematorium and yelled after her, I will see you again. The question for us is, yes, we've been exposed to our barriers to our neighbors. But what keeps us from passing those barriers? What keeps us from embracing our neighbors? What keeps us from finding the wounded, the sinful, the people Jesus loves on the Jericho Road and on Lake Avenue Street? Friends, you know that when we, when we ask the question, how will the church respond, we, we did not, like Jesus, I'm not asking it uh, rhetorically. I'm asking it that we might respond with our brothers and sisters around the world, including Cambodia. If you'd reach into your worship folder and take out this, this piece of yellow paper real quickly, I want to give you some ways to respond. I do not want you to have a chance to leave here without saying, well, I wish we had something we could do. Our team this year has gone quite the distance to try and give you some things to do, some opportunities to respond. You'll see that uh, be, uh, out in the lobby afterwards, please linger. See, find opportunities for engagement. First of all, you can, you can get a hold of Debbie's book. I highly recommend it. It's been very helpful for me personally. Um, secondly, I want to encourage you. We've got, we need to send a dozen folks to teach those workers the stories that Debbie just told. Some basic English. If you speak English, good news, you're qualified. 
Um, we've got a dozen slots to fill. A, couple, a few of them, I guess, are already filled. Check with our impact table. I tell you, these two to four weeks will change your life. They truly will. I don't say that as lightly as probably it sounded. It's a remarkable experience you're going to have, like no other teaching English experience, frankly, I know of around the world because it's very intimate living with these folks. Number three, next Saturday, we're going to have a caregiver assembly kit. What in the world does that mean? Well, if you look at, at, uh, you can't see on on this slide, we're going to be building kits for people who go to villages and, and volunteers who care for those with AIDS. The kit is filled with very simple supplies, simple supplies that are hard to get in some places and not very cost effective. We want to send some. We're going to partner with World Vision. And in faith, we've we've ordered enough for 500 of these kits. Next Saturday, you can sign up for a one-hour shift to come and help stack these kits, fill them full of bandages, gauze, all the things that go in there. Um, It's your chance to get a hands-on experience with care. We need about 150 volunteers. Table out in the lobby. Fourth, for those of you who have a real passion for prayer, some of our warehouse, uh, Lake Avenue warehouse members have been so struck with the story of Cambodia, particularly with the story coming out of the time of the Khmer Rouge, where something on the nature of 20% of the population was murdered or died uh, of uh, malnutrition over a four-year period. These, this, this group of, of women made a prayer guide a 30-day prayer guide for Cambodia, culminating with a prayer walk on Saturday, April 19th, right here in Pasadena, to pray on behalf of healing, for redemption, for the breakthrough of the kingdom of God in Cambodia. I want to invite you to talk to those folks out at the table, because maybe that's the way you want to respond. Last year we talked about trafficking. Debbie this morning talked about stories of human trafficking into the sex trade in Cambodia. HIV will not end unless that begins to dissipate. Last year we talked about this. We haven't talked about it much since. I want to invite you next Sunday at either 9 or 11 to Orland Hall, 205, to come and hear stories about how what you did last year and what took place last year changed life for a number of folks. I want to tell you about these two girls who were in a taxi. They were taking the Vietnamese border. They were about to be handed over to a trafficker. And Well, come next Sunday. I'll tell the rest of the story. I want to invite you today at noon to have lunch with Debbie up in the Skyrim Hutchins Hall 400. Come meet us for lunch. You'll have a chance just to ask questions. She'll tell a couple stories, but we want you to ask questions. We want you to get your hands around this subject matter. How would God have us respond? That's the goal. Friends, it's stories about H- stories of love in the time of HIV AIDS. It doesn't get easier to understand the closer you are to this subject. It's suffering, period. I want you to see the story of a pastor who has walked through this journey himself and what God has taught him in the midst of this journey, I want you to watch his story and then I'll come back up and close this up.